You're listening to Talk with Renee Dallow, episode 197. Talk about fractional C-suites and if your business needs one (laughs) with Amy Schuster. As the founder of Bandwidth Strategy and fractional COO, CMO, and CRO at current top performing e-commerce and software as a service companies, Amy supports 5 million to 100 million major revenue companies in creating, growing, and improving marketing departments to execute on lead generation and overall brand awareness. Amy and the team support their clients by stepping in as an integrator for companies such as Miller Hyman Group, Yellow, Simply B, and HomeFinder to provide fractional C-suite solutions to scale and grow their business. Working closely with the company's leadership, Amy and her team develop comprehensive strategies that align with business goals and priorities through strategic operations, digital marketing, demand generation, revenue building, and more. Amy's work has been featured in prominent publications such as Fast Company, Business Insider, and Marketing Dive. Today, Amy is here with us in the wedding and creative space to answer the question, what the hell is a fractional C-suite and do you need one? (laughs) So go grab your coffee, grab your tea or something stronger, and let's talk it out. Welcome to Talk with Renee Dallow, biz chat for wedding pros and creatives. Tune in every week for no BS real talk from industry experts that want to help you thrive in your business and your life. Here's your host, event planner, educator, and sushi addict, Renee Dallow. Grab a glass and get ready to talk it out. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Talk with Renee Dallow. It is me, your host, Renee Dallow. I am joined this week by Amy Schuster. Amy, how the hell are you? I'm doing well, Renee. How are you? You know, I'm pretty good. Where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in Chicago in your old neck of the woods. Oh, my old college town. <laughs> I miss Chicago. Uh, you're you're missing the best part of the year. A- April to October. That's when you want to live here and then right. go to L.A. the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> my husband did a TV show in Chicago a couple of years ago, this was out of like 2016, and he had never spent any time in Chicago before. And I was like, you got to go here, you got to go there. Da, da, da. Well, his contract ended December 1st. Oh, God. And yeah, I came out to visit him in October. It was like bliss. He was like, I don't know what you're all talking about. It's gorgeous here, blah, blah. And I was like, just wait. By the time, just wait. Just wait. By the time you come up, and he literally was like, I've never felt such cold in my life. I was like, yes, welcome. Welcome, my California boy to Chicago. Uh, God, for all so of your wedding clients, I uh, I chose to get married uh, January 11th of the polar vortex in 2014, Ooh. and I had a bunch of family in from LA, and I'm pretty sure they disowned me after that. They were like, "What are? You, why would you get married in January? Why would you get married in January in Chicago? And how did you manage to do that in a polar vortex?" I'm like, "I'm very talented." I mean, it's just the tenacity of it. As I love it, it's it's so impressive. We're hardcore Chicagoans. I love it. Uh, oh, this episode is not about Chicago as much as I want it to be. Uh, we just talk about all the places I miss, like the Chicago Diner and Potbelly. Um, <laughs> anyhow, Amy is here to talk to us about a topic that actually one of my coaching clients brought to me. And then serendipitously, I got an email from one of Amy's reps who was like, do you want anyone to come talk about this? And I was like, um, yes. So today we're talking about the world of fractional C-suites. And if your business needs one, Amy, you got to start at the beginning. Like what is even a fractional C-suite? Oh my gosh. So I really define the difference between a fractional and a consultant in 
the way in which you're doing the work. So for most part, when you think of a consultant, I think of someone who's really project-based, right? You've got shorter timelines, you've got really defined deliverables. When you decide to, to take a fractional role, you're gonna be a part-time C-suite member at an organization for you know anywhere between six months and, and my longest gig has been almost three years. You're gonna be doing at least 15 hours of work a week. It's probably more like 20 to 25. Um, you lots of times will get a company email, you'll be doing uh, team evaluations, you audit systems, you're going to coach employees up or out. But what you're really doing is supporting the C-suite as a whole in an area for which they have not had a lot of success or don't have the budget uh, to bring a full-time member in. A lot of times for me, that's a CMO or COO world. I talk to a lot of CFOs, CTOs, CSOs, um, both sales and customer service. Um, but yeah, the, the industry is really hopping. I would say when I first started doing this about three years ago, I, I went back and I looked at Google Trends just for kicks not too long ago. And the term fractional CMO was, was searched 284 times in 2018. In 2022, that jumped up to 2,043 searches. There was a 700% increase in those four years. Uh, so it really is, it is a, it is a growing uh, industry, if you will, that I, I think got an incredible lift out of the pandemic. Do you think it was because of the pandemic that that happened? I think it was, I, yes-ish. I think the pandemic broke open work. And I think yeah. once all of us had that experience and, and I've listened to a couple of your shows and, and heard a lot from folks who are in the wedding industry, um, I don't come from that industry. I come from a, a much more um, boring one, B2B marketing. <laughs> um, we don't have nearly as much fun as all of you do. But uh, in that B2B space, it just, it just broke open what we wanted to be doing, what we didn't want to be doing, being forced into this nine to five world, being tied to companies that had very little interest in our long-term well-being. Um, so I, I do think that everything in the pandemic broke open work and, um, and allowed fractional to come in. Yeah. I also think like, at least for me, there's, so there is a part of my business that is B2B because I'm an educator, public mm -hmm. speaker. I have courses, all that stuff. I didn't know the word integrator until maybe 2020. Mm. Yeah. The difference I think between sort of the founder integrator model. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and for those people who don't know, will you explain a little bit about what an integrator does? So, you know, how I really like to think about it in terms of what it does at founders. And, and I think you're going to probably put yourself in this category, right? Founders are folks who are incredible at big picture. They believe mm -hmm. beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're going to succeed no matter what is put in front of them. They're visionaries. They see around corners. Integrators uh, are folks who are going to be able to take all that vision and put it into reality, as well as if they're good, uh, be able to work with the visionaries uh, and the, the entrepreneurs and the founders to say, here's what I've seen before in my X number of years of experience and why that idea, while incredible, may not go exactly the way you think, but here's how we yeah. might be able to make it work. That's, that's really what you have an integrator for. Yeah. I love it. My, I have, I have a Kelsey who's an integrator in my business. Yeah. <laughs> she's, 
she's the one who's like, so you owe me that thing. And remember the thing you said, like, she's keeping me on track because you're right. I am more of like a, you know what we should do in 2025? Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, can you, can you take a freaking minute? Can you, can you stop? I'm like, I'm going to write a book and then option it as a TV show. Like I literally come up with just all the things and the integrators are the ones who like keep, keep the lights And you on. have to have that, right? I mean, yeah. you have to have the people who are going to come up with those visions and then, you know, I, in my background, I, I have started, I have started two companies and I, I'm probably not as successful because I am not a believe beyond a doubt, shadow of a doubt things that, that it will work. I am a better integrator in other people's businesses. And that, you know, that was a really interesting discovery for me. And sort of what also took me down this fractional road was, was what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important strengths of entrepreneurship that we talk about when we're like, well, make your goals and what can you outsource? But like, honestly, knowing what is your zone of genius is so important and not that it can't change, but like, I am someone, I'm not like a math person. I'm just not like, and that's not, that's not going to change. So I hire out for all that stuff, but I know that if someone brings something to me, that's like deeply, I don't know, numbers based, I'm like, eh, I'm not going to get excited about <laughs> this one and it's important i think to know what we're good at and what we're not totally couldn't agree more yeah so when is the right time for someone uh to hire a fractional c-suite person like what is there a right time is there circumstances yeah 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 great question so uh, here's how i like to look at it if you have a five-year trajectory on your business, you're not thinking of necessarily taking any investment or you are not looking to do something like an IPO um, or sell the business, I think that that is a great opportunity to bring in a full-time C-suite, right? You're going to give, especially in the marketing space, you're going to give that person the chance to come in to do what they're really good at, which is to setting long-term strategy and building teams to execute on that. They're going to integrate your vision for the organization. If you are under a two and a half year timeline or even a two year timeline, you're looking to do another investment round. You think you might IPO, um, you might want to sell the business. I really recommend looking at a fractional. I think that the opportunity there is for someone who has as much experience and strength as someone who would be full time, but you're not necessarily looking for their vision. You're looking for what you talked about, that integration component. You're looking for yeah. them to execute really quickly and they're not there for the long term. They're not worried about their equity options. They're not worried about keeping their jobs at the end of the exit, right? They are, they are worried about executing on what it is you as the CEO need. And that's really helpful, right? It's incredibly freeing for both sides. And I see that being really valuable. I think there's a third element too, which is, you know, affordability. If you are looking for the skills and experience of a C-suite individual, but, but you are not in a position to be able to pay for that on a full-time basis, a fractional opportunity um, might be one to consider. Yeah. How important is it that the person you're hiring has in like in, in our case, for my listeners, like wedding experience specifically? Um, I guess it depends on the problem that you have. I tend to think that most businesses fall into two categories. You're either selling stuff or you're selling the invisible, right? You're selling <laughs> physical objects yeah. that have, that you can touch, that can be, sh you know, shipped, that can be purchased at a store um, or sent to your home. That's, that's the one category. 
The second category is, and this is where I put myself, is I sell the invisible, right? I, I sell professional services. Uh, I sell software as a service. You can't touch the things that I sell. Take that a step further. Wedding industry, you're selling a service. You're selling an experience. People will touch each other and have that experience, but you can't go buy that at a Target. So yeah. as long as that person has B2B experience, I don't know that they need to necessarily have wedding experience or event experience, but can they run the numbers for the CEOs that don't necessarily want to, you know, be, be in that space? You know, can they run the numbers? Do they understand the P&L of a services-based business, which is what you are? Um, do they understand the marketing strategies around a services-based business and lead management and marketing and sales alignment and all of that stuff? It's going to be comparable. If you want an absolute expert and Again, I get hired a lot because I have legal experience. I have professional sales experience. Um, so people tend to like that because they think it'll be a slower, a faster entry, lower barrier to entry, easier opportunity. To be honest, I, I think all of that invisible is pretty easy to bounce around in once you've been a fractional for a little while. You know, I've never heard it said like selling the invisible but that's the most true that's the truest thing i can think of especially for the wedding planners who are listening that's one of the things we're up against you know we, we have to sell the results when no one can even see the results mm -hmm. at, at the beginning and selling the invisible is such um an elegant way to say that so thank you for that <laughs> absolutely yeah i always imagine like can i go to target and pick up a gift card for what i want to sell no no i can't <laughs> That's a really, that's a really great way. Like to say wedding, that. wedding in a box. Can you do? Oh it? my god! No, that literally makes you break out into like a cold sweat. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my god, never, never, never. I want to talk a little bit about sales and marketing with you as well. Yeah. This is one of the things we have in 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 our little notes together. Are and I've never heard it put exactly this way, which is why it kind of sparked my interest. What happens if a if a, a business's visual and verbal mm. brand identity does not align. So we've talked a lot on this show about brand identity and marketing, but I've never heard it said like visual and verbal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Say more. A lot of times I'll walk into an organization and they have identified brand as the logo, the pictures, the website, the things people see, what those elements have not been correlated to are the ways that people talk about the company and specifically the way in which the sales organization sells the company. So in most of my work, I work, I, I am very closely aligned with the sales organization. And it's funny, I feel like so often there'll be this big brand refresh from a, from a visual point of view and nobody bothers to tell sales what's changing for them in terms of how they talk about this, right? So I, I do an exercise with a lot of my clients that allows them to get to a better place in terms of, okay, we've got this brand identity, right? We're really excited about how it looks, but how do I talk about this business in a boilerplate, in an elevator pitch, and then on a bar stool? And I gotta tell you, Renee, the bar stool is always the hardest one. Because you have to be able to relate to someone in l probably less than 60 characters, right? Be able to tell them what you do super quickly is the hardest one. You could do the, the boilerplate all day long, the elevator pitch we can do, but being able to 
properly articulate and align as a company on what you want to say about that company, super hard. Yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting space in time. I think people tend to do one or the other in a silo and not think through the whole thing. I agree. And I also think the the verbal is so interesting in light of all the video content we're all supposed to be creating yep. for our businesses right 100%. now. Uh, and this is something I actually, for those of you who are longtime listeners or who saw me at Wedding ABA last year, I talked about this a little bit um, in the fact of like how to brand your TikToks because it's literally just you talking to a screen most of the time. And, and you're so right in that what we say on that bar stool, and I've never heard it said that way, it's so powerful, is so much more important because I think as soon as, at least what I've seen, especially for wedding pros, there's something that happens in the wedding industry, um, and it's happened the entire 13 years I've been in it, where when we talk to people outside of the wedding space about what we do, we tend to um, downplay uh -huh. it, right? We're like, sometimes I've even found myself, and I'll, you know, I'll always tell on myself first, I found myself, especially in circles um, of my husband's business, you know, partners, um, saying things like, oh, I plan parties for rich people, <laughs> right? Like as a shrug, like, a, oh, you know, but like the actual actually what I do is way more yeah. deep and, and broad than that. But in that moment when you're sitting on a bar stool and someone's like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, um, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and that's not the answer I want to give, but after a glass of wine, that's what comes out. Yeah. So it's very interesting to have that in my mind now, because it's like, well, how do I want to talk about it on the bar stool? Yeah. And what I would say is it's not it's, the barstool is probably not the best one because a couple drinks in and the barstool becomes the not place you want to be talking about your business. Um, but yeah. but fair on the on the, you know, two glasses of wine in conversation. I, I mean, it is part of it is, you know, what's the differentiator? What is it that makes you unique in what you do? And any branding person will walk you through that. Any good content creator will walk you through that. But it, it, it is being able to articulate that in a long form, in a medium form, in a short form, and make sure it aligns to what you are visually saying as well. Um, I am a, a very, very dangerous graphic designer in that I had graphic design skills back in college and have not kept them up. So I am not the person to ever talk about how something looks, but I I know how to pair it with what you need to say and what the website needs to say. And more importantly, what your SEO content needs to say. And I think that's something we don't talk about enough. The the visual content in your website is great. The you know the the actual content is great. If you're not SEO optimizing for solving problems for people the moments that they have them you're doing yourself an incredible disservice so you know the branding sounds fancy the visual branding the verbal branding it all sounds very fancy and very fun you know when it comes down to it it's making sure all of that matches up to your seo so that you're getting people in the door yeah so if someone's listening and they're like oh shit, okay we did a rebrand everything looks beautiful or nothing verbal changed though how do we fix it yeah it is hard to I, depending on the size of the company, I feel like it's hard to fix on your own. I would work with someone to step out of your day to day and be able to walk you through some exercises to get you to something like, you know, uh, boilerplate, elevator pitch, barstool or whatever version of that looks like. Um, any yeah. good content strategist or, or brand team should be able to do that for you. Um, if you don't have the budget for that, you're not big enough for that. You know, I, I think there are plenty of online resources that can help you answer those questions. Um, and I can try and find a couple of them to share with you and your listeners. 
Sure, sure. Um, let's talk about lead generation because that is something for wedding pros. I think you might be surprised to know, or maybe not, that a lot of wedding pros really shy away from that sort of email funnel pipeline. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of uncertainty around it in the wedding space because, you know, the common objection is like, well, our clients don't stay around that long. You know, should we even bother? I'm sure you have thoughts on that. I do. I think, I, I guess part of my question would be digging in is how much of the business is for a particular wedding planner or the wedding planner industry is how much is cold new business and how much is referral business and understanding that breakdown so that you can figure out where to put your energy. If you are someone who's been in the business long enough that 95% of your leads are from referral, I think you create a, a minimal market email marketing strategy that keeps all of your referrals up to date or all of your past clients up to date, um, that encourages referrals, that even maybe incentivizes referrals, but that you not, you know, kill yourself over something like that. If you're new to the industry and you don't have any referrals, that's really, you know, again, making sure that you've got the SEO strategy, the email marketing strategy, the funnel management to be able to build your your business digitally is incredibly important. And and that's not to to discard someone who has a referral business. I, you can absolutely take on a stronger digital presence if you want to, but I also know that wedding planners are probably spread pretty thin and doing digital marketing is probably not going to be their first choice of activity. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm talking about that this year at Wedding MBA. Um it's one of my topics is like creating email funnels and quizzes and like sort of taking some of that lead gen stuff that all other online businesses are doing and seeing how it can relate to wedding pros. And I think that it, it certainly can, and, and it does work. Um, it kind of goes back to the idea that like, you kind of have to have the vision for it, right? Like what we had said, you kind of have to put yourself in that visionary place of like, you might not see immediate results, but the vision of it is much, you know, is much longer. Um, and people will, you know, unsubscribe or whatever. And that can't be an emotional thing. It just, it's just business, you know? Absolutely. I, you know, just thinking back to my own experience and our, our wedding planner who I adored, you know, I haven't heard from her in uh, almost nine years. And, you know, why is that? There could be a thousand different reasons. I, I would still probably refer her, yeah. but I, I think had she tried to keep up with me on a you know, quarterly cadence, I, I might be more likely to, to be, you know, referring her along. So anyway, I, I think making sure that you do have a, a table stakes referral program, I think is referral and ongoing communication strategy is really important. But, you know, we can talk about separately what it takes to build something like that if you don't already have it. Oh yeah, I feel like that's an entirely different episode, um, which I'd love to talk about. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk. Uh, I want to circle back to the fractional CMO mm -hmm. question. Where does one find someone for this role? Like someone listening who was like, "Yep, I need it." Where do you, do you where do you go? Yeah, probably Google right now. <laughs> I think it's so new. I it's funny. I now have a spreadsheet with all different fractionals that I've met. So if someone's interested, I'm happy to provide referrals. I've got. Chief technology officers, chief fi uh, chief finance officers, customer service officers, client success officers, chief sales revenue or chief revenue officers. So, uh, lots of different options were. It was searched two hundred and eighty four times in twenty eighteen. Like it's such a it's such a new world. Um, yeah. I would Google. I think that'll help. And then you know, feel free to reach out to me if there's someone that you're interested in talking to. I love that. I love it. I think you know the interesting thing about 
any fractional C-suite thing is that it is such a finite relationship. And I think for so many small entrepreneurs, we think like, oh, we want this relationship with someone forever. We need to bring someone in. And, and I do like, it's sort of the freedom of it, you know, to just bring someone in to troubleshoot and, and integrate. And then, and I, and then there's an ending. Yeah. I mean, if you, I have this made up fractional hierarchy of need and at the top of it, so the bottom of it is, can you find health insurance? Which I think is just like one of those unfortunate table stakes part of, you know, where we live and what we do. Second part of it is like, do you have a network that's going to help you and guide you through this process? And then finally, it's like, does this type of work light you up? And what I mean by that is, does short-term work light you up as a fractional, right? Mm. I am the person who the first year of the job was always my favorite time. I I felt like I got the most done. There was the most energy, most enthusiasm. It was super fun for me versus colleagues of mine would be like, oh my God, it's so hard. I don't know anything. I don't, I can't figure out the politics. And they really struggled in that first year. That's what yeah. I say is the difference between a, frac- a successful fractional and not. Like if you're someone who really doesn't like those beginning stages, you want to get in, you want to have your time, you want to see your projects to fruition, fractional is probably not for you. For those of us that are good at, as you said, dropping in, making sure that um, you know we can affect change quickly, we bring, we bring a lot of value. And after you know that six month mark, nine month mark, 12 month mark, we can walk away and there's no hard feelings, right? Like right. that was always the arrangement. We weren't interviewing for a job. Um, I, I know that that can happen, but the majority of us don't necessarily want that. We, we wanna do good work in short periods of time and, and get to know our clients and make sure that we provide value. Um, but we're not necessarily looking for our, a next gig. Right. Or like, yeah, you're not looking to be promoted. You're not looking. Uh-huh. And I also yep. feel like yep. Yep. it yep. comes with so much, like you're able to be so objective, but also it sort of sounds like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not that there's like a refreshing lack of ego there as well. Cause you're not like trying to prove anything really. hundred percent. Every it. And on the flip side of that, everything I said as a W2 was called into question. Everything I said as a 1099 was brilliant. It was the same thing. I said the same thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's like you you were just coming with this level of authority as a consultant because you've been there for, you've been there, done that if you've been doing this long enough that people are like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Amy's our fractional. She gets it. She understands it. She's been at XYZ. Yeah, let's just listen. Versus I'm in-house for two years and they're like, oh yeah, our CMO just wants to do it this way. It's so frustrating. Same thing. Same advice. Uh, just what it's how you are perceived by the organization. Yeah, that's so interesting. I have a question for you just in your role as fractional. Like, do you find yourself like, is it a hustle culture to like get more work as a fractional? So great question. And I I go back to what you said before in terms of wedding planners feeling like they're not really into that mindset and the funnel and trying to get, you know, more that that more business mentality. Talking back about that fractional hierarchy of need, if you've got the right uh, community around you, you've got a network it's really not a hustle culture, right? People know you, they know what you do, and you can find ways to be in front of them and remind them of what you do without necessarily needing to go out and quote unquote do sales. I think the word sales is really hard for people. I think the word hustle is really hard for people. What you're doing is just networking. And I I always find that so interesting, right? That people are like, I'm not good at sales. And you'll go out to a cocktail party and they'll be talking to everyone there. Be like, what are you you doing? You said you weren't good at sales. Like, I'm just talking to people. 
So <laughs> that's networking and you're doing great and it's sales and yes, you're fine. So I, I think that that's, you know, if you can get beyond the mantras um, and, and come to it with enough of a built-in community, you don't have to feel like you are quote unquote hustling. Yeah. It's interesting because I know there's a fraction of my audience who are writing prose looking for their next thing. And I wonder if fractional work isn't sounding appealing to them. Probably. I guess my question is, are there a lot, what, what would be the difference, right? Where would they be in house versus fractional? Cause they're, they're yeah. already quote unquote consultants, right? Right. I think the thing that I see in my industry is that a lot of consultants in the wedding space don't really get that far into the business as you've described it. Like they don't have their own email address. They're, they're sort of consulting from a distance. Mm -hmm. And what you, what you've described is like, you're in it. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. I think, I think the wedding industry could really value, like get so much value from someone who wants to go all in like that. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect, it's sort of a perfect role for someone who uh, maybe wants to retire from their active wedding business, but doesn't want to leave the industry. Yeah, no, I, I think absolutely. If you're able to, I, I mean, would you see someone like that in like a fractional, um, I don't know, fractional wedding planner for like a large hotel brand? Yeah, for sales. Yeah. Um, uh, even, I mean, not even a large brand, even like a midsize company, cool. especially one, uh, especially like a wedding planning company. Some companies have many, many planners under like one umbrella. And I think like, I, I kind of, that's what I thought of when you said changing the branding, but not changing the, the, the verbal. Yep. I'm like, oh yeah, there's so many planners, companies who expand in that direction. Um, but they're maybe still using sales language that they used when it was a solo planner. Yeah. That's a great point. Right. I have yeah. a, um, an article and I can share it with your, with you and your, your, your subscribers as well about how to start your business when you're sort of starting from zero, which I did. Um, and some of the hacks that I did. And I, I feel like some, one of the struggles I hear from a lot of people is I don't want to put my shingle out there. Cause what if it doesn't work? Right. They're, uh, they're like, yes. what if I have to pull back and go get a full-time job? I'm like, you know what? I didn't hang out my shingle for a year. I went and did the work and worked with my network and found jobs and found opportunities. And once I had been in it for probably nine months or so, I made the decision that, okay, this is going to work and I can keep going. Um, then I hung out my shingle. Then I started publishing under my company name. Um, yes. But I really waited to do that because I had that fear and insecurity of, oh God, what if this doesn't work? And so that gave me the freedom to go out and try it without quote unquote, announcing what I was doing. Yeah. I would also love to normalize, like, just if you need to have a second job, get a second yeah, job. Yeah, for like, sure. I, in fact, I heard like, you know, uh, through the rumor mill last week, someone that I know, you know, casually through different spaces, like, oh, they had to get a, they had to go back to a full-time work. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like for me, when I hear it, I'm like, that's, that feels like either a good choice they made for themselves or just maybe seasonal. We're in a really weird place in the wedding industry right now, Amy, because we are still recovering from the pandemic and not um, not those weddings anymore. I hope listeners, dear listeners, I hope you're still not doing <laughs> pandemic weddings because I mean, God bless. But it's more that, um, you know, historically there has been like a two and a half year period from the time a couple meets to the time they get engaged. Yeah. And 
so if you back up, that was 2020. So people weren't meeting in 2020. Yeah, right. So, so wedding, weddings are down. All yeah. Supply chain issues, supply chain issues. Exactly, exactly. And we were all uh, alerted to this fact because the jewelry companies were like, hey, engagement ring sales are down. And then we all started ah, looking around like, oh, shit. Fascinating. Now what, right? Now what we're seeing, what I'm seeing uh, even in my own wedding planning business and with my coaching clients is that a lot of couples are inquiring for 2025. Mm -hmm. So 2024, uh, the naysayers, the, the people who are a little more gloom and doom than I are like, oh, 2024 is going to be a bust of a year. What are we going to do? And, you know, I think that's, you can look at it that way, or you could look at your business and say, is this an opportunity to grow in a different way? Do I need to bring in fractional C-suite yeah. member to really do you know to come in and consult on my business and in a deep in a deeper way than what we've normally seen in the wedding industry yeah right? i think, I think that's this a is great like suggestion finding the ways in those down moments or per or those anticipated down moments of building the business for the future if you can yes. float that and to your point there are many ways to do that that's really important and and I, you know, I, I am the cobbler's child with no shoes in that I, you know, I went gangbusters for two years on my business and then SVB happened and a ton of my clients are in the startup space and everything just shut off. And I was all of a sudden like, oh God, there's no business. I have to go out and market and do all the things I tell everybody else to do, but I didn't have the time to do. Yeah. So you don't ever want to get to that point, right? Like you want to no. get ahead of it. Um, and if you, I, I think that's phenomenal advice and a really good article you should write for your industry. Oh, add it to the pile. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure you get that suggestion all the time. You don't need me to tell you. Um, what's funny is that my, my husband has been for 10 years being like, you should write a book. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've started, you know, I've started and stopped because I'm, I was like, I don't have time to write a book. And now I'm like earnestly writing a book. So uh, I just think it's, it's, I have, and of course now I'm like, I have five book ideas. Like it's not just one. I can't just do it normally. Uh <laughs> which is, it's all good. It's all lovely and good. Amy, I have two questions for you that were not pre-approved. So Please, if you don't want to answer them, Monica can cut it out. Um, so uh, in addition to all the other things I do, I actually run a membership for wedding pros. That's all about self-care. It's called Better. Um, and so I love to ask my guests two questions. First question is, what is your non-negotiable self-care? And second question is, are you a 5 a.m. entrepreneur or a 5 p.m. entrepreneur? Oh my gosh, I love it. And I just listened to... Uh, Tanessa, is that how you say her name? Oh yes. Oh, oh. So I'm like already, uh, I'm I'm on it with my answers. I'm very excited. Um, so it. my non-negotiable is sleep. Absolutely. Yes. I sleep trained my kid like way before you were supposed to. She is an amazing sleeper because that was an. I, I literally it was so non-negotiable that I like forced my offspring to also be a good sleeper. <laughs> Um, I love it. <laughs> that's how serious I was. Um, and then I am absolutely at 5 a.m. I'm. It's more like 5:30, 5 a.m. Because you got to set the alarm for like 4:50, and I just oh. I can't do a four. But like, yeah, no. I can do a 5:15. Get up at 5:30. Like, get on the Peloton by six. Yeah, that's that's a good time for me. I love it. I'm jealous of you a bit. Uh, but I am also working on my sleep. So I, my sleep is an ongoing, uh, we're in an ongoing relationship to understand each other better. Oh man, I, I'm in that with food. So the food is, is never, never the thing that was easy. The sleep was always easy. Yeah. I used to be, I used to like family lore is like Renee is a good sleeper. Yeah. So a couple of years ago when I actually started uh, with a life coach dealing with food and, and this was like in 2020 when I was like, I got to get a handle on like myself. 
one of the basics that this life coach Corinne Crabtree teaches is like, you have to get seven hours of sleep a night. And I was like, I'm good. I always sleep. And then I got an aura ring. I heard you talk about this. I, I, first of all, I think you need to get a deal with aura. I know I talk about it constantly. Second of all, I really want one. So like, once you get the deal, let me know. So I know you get a kickback from it. Um, <laughs> I am, I'm super into one. I want it bad. I just haven't been able to like pull the trigger on it. No, trust me. I, the, the, day, the day I bought it, I was like, uh, yeah. like pressing the button, like, oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say having the data, I was a dirty liar to myself because I was barely sleeping six hours. Oh, wow. And now, right now today, I can tell you I'm steadily making my way to seven and a half. And you. yeah, I'm just going to figure out what this new version of me looks like because I used to say like, oh, I'm a night owl. I go to bed at midnight, one or two. I'm most productive at one and two a.m. No, I'm not. But that was the story, right? And so, you know, new stories. New story. In progress. New story. New stories in progress. Uh, Amy, you're a delight. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at bandwidthstrategy.com or uh, LinkedIn. Perfect. We're going to link to all those things, including the article yep. um, in the show notes. So all my lovely listeners can find it. Amy, thank you for coming here and explaining all this to us. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Anytime. We'll have to have you come back to do another episode for sure. Oh, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, listeners, I hope you learned something today. I certainly did. Um, I'm going to say the same thing I always say because I just want to remind you always that your time is so important and it is the one thing that you cannot make any more of. And so I'm always deeply grateful that you've spent it with us. We will see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now, friends. Thanks for listening to Talk with Renee Dallow. Dive into the show notes at reneedallow.com forward slash podcast. And connect with Renee at Talk with Renee Dallow on Instagram.